You may be seated. Well, good morning. Um, I'm excited to be able to bring the word again this morning. Uh, we have been going through this sermon series on the fruits of the Spirit, Spirit-filled living. We spent four weeks on the fruit of the Spirit is love. And we've been spending the last few weeks on joy. We talked about joy in living and dying, joy in loss. And today we're talking about joy in endurance. Joy and endurance. And we've been looking at the book of Philippians uh, because the major theme of Philippians is rejoice in the Lord. Over and over, multiple times in Philippians, in a short book, it says rejoice in the Lord. But we are continuing on today. And we are going to be looking at a, a quite a bit of scripture. Just a fair warning, so hope you brought your Bibles. Um, or maybe you have your phone app. This is one time where being on your phone in church is absolutely okay. <laughs> but... Um, I want to start with a question. How many of you like working out? Show of hands. A few of you. Okay. Okay. I saw some shaky hands over there. Okay. How many of you, let's reverse that. How many of you do not like working out? Okay. Don't, come on now. Don't lie in church. All right. No. <laughs> um, for those of you who raised your hands the first time, y'all are dismissed early. You can go home. Uh, matter of fact, you can run home. Um, kidding. Uh, but for those of you who raise your hands a second time, you are my people. I don't like working out. Um, there are certain elements of it that I enjoy. Like there's something very manly about uh, lifting weights, maybe put on some Old Spice and lift some iron or something like that. There's something very manly in that. Um, and I do enjoy that, but there's a lot of the process of working out that I don't enjoy. Now I do work out, I do the things, but the process is not what I enjoy. Um, and I'm quite convinced that it's due to the fall of man that we have to work out. Um, like, I think when sin entered the world, so did um, uh, leg day and um, cardio. Uh, <laughs> I think God created us as perfect beings, and that meant that Adam had a six-packs and biceps for days and all this. Yeah, anyways, you get the point. When sin entered the world, so did calories. Like, anyway. But... So I, I don't like the process, but there are things that I do like. I like to eat. I like eating. Like, I love a ribeye steak, and that has quite a bit of fat, and maybe some potatoes with that, and maybe some cake afterwards. Like, I enjoy all of those things. And so I like to be able to do that. I like to eat, and I want to look halfway decent, so I do what? I have to work out. But in order to look halfway decent, if I'm going to eat those things, I have to do what? I have to do cardio because lifting weights isn't going to burn the calories. So that means I have to do an evil three-letter word called run. This is my least favorite thing of working out. I hate running. I hate that the word run rhymes with fun because there's nothing fun about it. Um, just to get on the treadmill, I have to wear my Nike Just Do It t-shirt. Uh, you know, listen to my, my playlist that gets me all excited, tell myself what a beast I'm going to be if I just get on the treadmill. And that's just to do the thing. Like, I, that's let alone to keep going, because you need what? You need endurance to keep running. You need endurance. And, and so, you know, I get on the thing, I start running, and I'm going along, and I go, Psh, this is easy, whatever. Uh, and I'm like, I've been, what, doing this 20 minutes? I look down three minutes, and I'm like, ah, I'm going to die because it takes endurance. 
You have to keep pushing yourself when you're running. That's, that's the hard part about running is it's, it's not necessarily starting the action, but it's to keep going because as you start, as you keep going, you feel like you're running out of breath, you're running out of steam, you know, and if you're like me, you don't like the sweat that much. It's like, it feels gross. And <laughs> but oftentimes our life feels this way, right? It feels like we're running a race. It gets tiring. It feels like the things of this world are pulling the breath out of our lungs. We see, we see what's happening in Ukraine. We see the sin and, and, and the devastation around us caused by our own sin and others' sin, and it just feels like, man, we're enduring this thing called life. And, and Scripture talks about this multiple times. It, it talks about that we are running a race because it's something that we can all relate to. As we run through this life, it gets tiring. And so there is instruction for us. There is instruction in how do we endure? How do we endure through all of the things of this world? So today we're looking, our main text is in Philippians. We're in Philippians 3, 12 through 4, 1. It'll be up on your screen there. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that this morning you would open our hearts and our minds to your words. God, reveal your truth to us. Lord, I pray that we would have the endurance to keep moving through this life as we see the pain and the suffering around us. Lord, provide for us endurance. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three things that we're going to talk about today. Uh, The first is do not look back. Do not look back. Second is do not look from side to side. And three, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And the important thing to remember as we look at this today is that 
Paul's instruction in Philippians and the other scriptures that we are looking at, this is for the believer. This is for the person who is running their race of faith. So if that is not you today, we would absolutely love to talk to you. If you have not yet accepted Jesus in you, as your Lord and Savior, Pastor Adam, Pastor Dirk, myself, we would love to talk and pray with you. But this instruction is for the believer. And Paul is using his own walk as an example. He says this in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So we got to break this down a second. What is this that he's talking about? He says, uh, not that I have already obtained this. So the this that Paul's talking about is Christ-likeness. This comes from the beginning of chapter 3 that we, we looked at with Pastor Dirk last week. It is this process of becoming a mirror of Christ during our life, sanctification. And so he says, hey, I have, I'm not there yet. But because Christ Jesus has made me his own, he has already made me his own because he has bought me with his sacrifice, I now press on in this life, this race of sanctification. I lean into it. And then Paul tells us uh, how we do this. And the first way he tells us to do this is by not looking back. Paul tells us to forget what lies behind and strain forward toward what lies ahead. So what does this mean? If, if we're going to continue with his imagery of running, um, if you're going to be a successful runner, you have to do what? Not look back. If you start looking back and you're running, let's say you're on a track and you got your lane, you're going to do what? You're going to drift. You're going to start drifting. I mean, have you ever watched, a, I've actually seen this, where I've seen a runner who was running, they, they were a little bit in front, and they were in the final stretch, and they were pressing on. They were using all of their muscles, all of their energy to push forward, but then they shifted just a little bit. They looked over their shoulder, and I actually saw a runner once lose a race because he diverted just enough of his energy, enough of his momentum into looking back, and it slowed him down, and another runner passed him by. Diverting your eyes from a prize can be costly. It can be very costly. And Paul, so it's, Paul tells us not to look back. So what does this mean? Uh, does he mean that you forget everything that you've ever done? Forget your life before at all? That Forget the sins of your past? Forget the pain that you've been through? Absolutely not. Paul talks about his past from time to time in the Word. So he, he obviously doesn't mean that. But what Paul is instructing us to do, to not do is to not let our past dominate our attentions and dictate the kind of person that we are going to be in Christ. And this is important. This is important because, if I'm honest, I've allowed myself to do this at times, and I know other Christians, other believers, who they, they, they might not say it outright, but you can tell that the past is everything to them. The past is everything. Like, they might not say it, that their past is everything, but you can hear it in their words that their past dominates their life because they talk about it all the time. And what you hear in their words is that there's almost this jail that they've built up around them that has been created by the bars of their past, and they just can't break out of it. 
They continually talk about the things that they've been through, the things that they've done, or, or the abuse that they've received, and, and the difficulties. And, and, and now, don't get me wrong in this. I don't mean that, to say that in the sense that everything that has ever happened to you, that you should pretend like it's, ever, that it's never happened. Like, the things that you've been through and what God has done in that will bring glory to him. They absolutely will bring glory to him, and we should celebrate that, but be careful of getting caught up in the past and letting it dominate who you are today, because as Paul says, Christ has made you his own. Christ has made you his own. So, and I want to be even more clear in this. Uh, I'm not suggesting that a person's past doesn't affect them. A person's past absolutely will affect them very much, and it can create some significant hurdles. Some runners are running the high hurdles. Some runners are literally running the high hurdles, and in your walk of faith, there are things that you're going to have to get past that are caused by things in your past. And they may be challenging, they may present some real difficulties, but they are not insurmountable. They may slow you down, but that is why Paul says, press on, press on, running with endurance. The point of this is that you don't have to be defined by your past because there is a new reality. There is a new reality in your life. And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says what? He says, therefore, if any was in, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He says very specifically, the old you, that's passed away. That doesn't exist anymore. He's talking about the old things that dominate our lives, that control our lives. And remember, this is being written by a guy who used to persecute and kill Christians. If anyone would have a reason to feel like they were trapped in the sins and the struggles of their past, it would be Paul. But now we have a new identity. We no longer have to allow those shameful things to grab us and hold us down and dictate that you stay put. That's no longer the reality. And if you're going to run this race, you can't be looking back. Isaiah 43 says, uh, and these are God's words to us from the prophet Isaiah in 18 and 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? God is doing a new thing. He ha the, the new thing has come. The old has passed away. But you know you're never going to get around to perceiving anything new that God has in front of you if you're always looking at the past. Now, if Christ defines us, and that is our, our reality, that, that is our new existence, and the prize of glory that awaits us, we also have to be careful about looking from side to side. Looking from side to side. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, we see uh, about a thousand years before Jesus, there are two kings for the nation of Israel. Um, and the first is King Saul, and the second is King David. Right? 
And Saul was appointed by the prophet Samuel. He was anointed to be the king. God spoke to Samuel and said, this is the guy. And now Saul had a very tragic end, an, an, an epic descent. Uh, he, from, from authority and, uh, and his reign ultimately ended by him committing suicide. Saul had a very tragic end, but we sometimes forget in Saul's end and in David's ascent to the kingship that Saul was blessed by God to be the king of Israel. He was anointed to be the king of Israel, and Israel was beginning to prosper under Saul's reign. And, and, but we see a moment in this, in this ascent where Saul takes his eyes off of his purpose. And, and we're going to look at this. Uh, David defeated Goliath, and the Israelites had defeated the Philistine army. And they're coming back, and the people are rejoicing. The people are celebrating uh, that uh, their, their army was victorious, and their, their enemies were defeated, and they're, they're dancing, they're singing songs, and in their song, there's this moment where they say, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And, and then we see this, 1 Samuel 18, 8 and 9. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Another thing that we do that keeps our eyes off the prize of being reunified with our Savior, being in glory with our Savior, is we compare ourselves to others. We look at those around us and compare ourselves to others. Comparison is a dangerous game. It is a very dangerous game because you are comparing yourself to someone you were never created to be. God created you for a purpose. Before he laid the foundations of the earth, he had a plan for you. That is what scripture tells us. He had a very set purpose for you. And, and so if you have a purpose that is in front of you, but you are looking at someone else's path, that is not, it's going to distract you from what God has created you to do. If you're not paying attention to your own obstacles and the terrain that you're running on, Comparison will steal joy. It will kill your peace and suffocate your sanity. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, 10 verse 12, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Paul essentially is saying here, if you're comparing yourself to somebody else, you're stupid. <laughs> you're without understanding. Comparison consistently clouds the clarity of God's calling on your life. If you want to be confused, just look at and compare yourself with somebody else and what they are called to do. So, you've been created with a purpose. 
You've been created with a purpose, and none of you in this, on this earth or in this room are here by an accident. You were created with a specific divinely appointed purpose in your life, and it is not random. It is so specific, so unique, that only you can do the thing that God has created you to do. I, and, okay, so I can tell you, I, I don't know everything that I was created for. I don't. I can tell you one thing I was not created for was anything involving math. <laughs> I do not like math. Um, my brain is not wired that way at all, um, and I know my youth kids are going to judge me for this, um, but the highest math I ever got was Algebra two trigonometry. I didn't even get to pre-calc. My brain does not work that way. And I know that's probably horribly disappointing to my father if he's listening to this because he was a statistician for over 30 years. Uh, he crunched numbers for his entire career, and he, 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 loves, he loves numbers. I don't. Um, I do know that uh, God did create me for, to communicate things. I have always found great joy in communicating with people. I, it was my degree in college, and I loved it. And I, and I got to uh, do broadcasting for some time, and, and, and even now in being able to bring the word. I love communicating with people, and I find great fulfillment and purpose in that. I know that God created me for something in that. And, and I won't know everything that he created for until I reach my, my deathbed, and I go, okay, I breathe my last breath, and okay, God's calling me home. I must have done what he put me here to do. But I know that you and I are created for something specific. That means your father can't do it, your mother can't do it, your crazy uncle can't do it, your best friend can't do it. Only you can do it. So as we talk about running this life that God has placed us on, then looking and comparing ourselves to others will only ever distract us. So I want to be clear, though. There's a difference between counsel and comparison. Counsel and comparison are different. Get, seeking wisdom from veterans of the Christian faith, from people who have been doing this walk a long time, seeking wise counsel is a good thing. Runners have what? They have coaches. Runners have coaches. The Olympian runners, they have somebody who's helping them tailor their very specific diet. They have somebody who's training them in specific muscle groups. They have another coach who's, uh, especially long-distance runners, and developing strategy, okay? You're going to exert more energy at this point in the race. You're going to slow down here. You're going to conserve your energy. Um, they have coaches who are guiding them, who are helping them. But what you don't do is you compare yourself to another runner because they have different muscles that they need to train versus you. Your body was created differently. They might have a different metabolism, so they can eat certain things that you cannot. There are differences. So comparing yourself and saying, I'm going to mirror what this person is doing, is not, it's only going to distract you from what you need to do to be a successful runner. But seeking wisdom from somebody who knows what they are doing is a good thing. So understand this difference. Understand that counsel and comparison are different, but comparison will cloud the clarity of God's calling. So do not allow yourself to get caught up in comparison, but press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you're running like this, 
I'm going to tell you right now, there is a crash in your future. It's not going to work. If you're looking at the side and you're running, you're going to crash. No wonder Saul had such an epic crash. Because he, he took his eyes off the purpose that God had placed him to do, to lead the nation of Israel and to ultimately seek God. Saul became more concerned about keeping his power and his authority and comparing himself to this up-and-coming guy than he was about chasing God's presence. So run. Run looking to Jesus. Last scripture for today. I promise this is the last one. (laughs) Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we run this race? How do we run this race with so many obstacles, the obstacles of pain and suffering and the sins of those around us and our own sin, the, the, the obstacles of the fallen nature of man? We do it by looking to Jesus. The goal is Jesus. We press on knowing that at the end of this race is reunification with our Savior that we will be with him, that all of the sufferings of this life will pass away, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus suffered the pain that you and I experience. He was fully man. He suffered the pain and the sorrows of existence at this earth, just as we suffer. But Paul says here, that because of the joy that was set before him, he was able to endure because of the everlasting joy of being in glory at the right hand of the Father. He endured. Title to today's message is Joy in Endurance. And I want to explain this. The joy is not in the endurance itself. We don't find joy in enduring in this life. Because that would be what? That would be looking to ourselves. If I found joy in my endurance, I wouldn't be looking to Jesus. The joy is something we already have. It is something that we already possess And it means that we can endure. We have joy during the endurance. Joy is a thing that we can have. But we move on from our past in order to embrace the joy that God has for us. The joy is already there to be had in front of us. He says, okay, I created you for this purpose in this life. 
And we know if you have accepted Christ, we know that you have a joy of the future in front of you of being reunified with your Savior. Uh, there's an old familiar hymn that says this. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. I wonder what would happen if in all of those things that we hold on to, the, our past struggles, our past sins, or the comparison that we have in others, I wonder what would happen if we didn't allow that to dominate our lives and instead look to Jesus I wonder if the things of this earth would grow dim if we just look at his glory and his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that we possess a joy in you. God, you have created us for this life, and there are moments where it becomes difficult to endure. So God, I pray that you would provide us the strength that we need to keep on running. Lord, that, we, that you, we would keep our eyes fixed on you, forgetting all of the things of this life and only looking towards you as our perfecter of our faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we continue to worship.